Okay, Pete Giuliano, it is Saturday, the 22nd of June, 2019. That makes this solder smoke. What's the number, Pete? 212. 212. 212. Ralph, Ralph, crank it in. 212. (laughs) Poor Ralph. Hey, uh, great to talk to you. It's been a while. We've both been been busy. Things have been going on, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I want to tell you, I want to start out by thanking you. You know, during the course of one of the reasons we're delayed is because Pete Giuliano has been sending me cool technological stuff in the mail. And then I get so engrossed in working with it that it it causes us to delay the Solder Smoke podcast. And in this case, I'm talking about two packages that he sent to me. First, the SBE-34 sideband engineers pete this we should have worked for sideband engineers yeah we are you know yeah. you well you're a real engineer i'm like a sideband amateur engineer but that's been the focus of the of the podcast in recent years sideband so what a cool thing sideband engineers first he sent me the sbe 34 which i thought was way cool now he, his idea was he was sending it to me because i had uh, asked people to send me their old unwanted collins mechanical filters and nobody took me up on that, except my good buddy Pete Giuliano, who sent me the entire rig. The Collins 34 has a 455 case. The uh, SBE 34 has a Collins uh, 455 KC mechanical filter in there. And Pete actually suggested that I might want to extract it from the rig. And I said, no way. This thing is a thing of beauty. Tis a thing of beauty. It's an amazing piece of engineering. You open it up, and it's just fantastic it's like the it's like the first kind of compact mobile uh, ssb rig put on the market is that right correct yep it's got bi-directional circuits in it which makes it you know very meaningful for us not the first bi-directional circuits i think they were in the collins gold dust twins weren't they or what were they what were they before no the cosmophone cosmophone yeah the cosmophone but this Butch was, Mason, Butch Mason. That's right. California I've, guy. I've seen him in electric radio. He like owns almost yeah. all of them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, very cool. And then um and then this other thing, this tuning mechanism in there. I'd never even heard of this. The Geneva tuning method. Geneva yeah. switches. Geneva, hear that guys? How many of you have Geneva switches? I do. Pete does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What it is is there's this big turret thing in the center and when you turn it you're clicking entire connections of coils. But with the same switch, you have a variable cap in there that lets you peak the uh, the input and the output on that given band. It's really quite cool. So there's just no... I looked at this 34 and I said, there's no way I'm going to strip this down. This is a piece of sideband history. Not only that, I, I like to set it up on the bench and just listen to it. It's it's great. It's pretty stable. It's It's good stuff. So then I thought that was really great. And then a few weeks later, another box arrives, identical in size, also coming from the Newberry Park Laboratories on the west coast of these United States. I open it up, and it's got an SBE-33 in it, an SBE-33, which I must say is aesthetically more pleasing than the 34. Yes, yes. Uh, I mean, the 34... They did a couple of things there. It's not as it's it's not quite as good looking. The SB33. My daughter, my my nineteen year old daughter came in and she said, "Wow, that's a good looking radio." That's that's you know that's something because most of the stuff she thinks is is like really ugly. But that was that it's got it's got this kind of baby blue kind of speaker on it. It looks it looks almost too cool for ham radio. Um, and I started playing around with that, 
and you become aware of the, of the differences between the two rigs. There are, there are subtle and not too subtle differences. One thing I was reminded of, Pete, and I had read about this before, but then I forgot about it. The ACDC transformerless supply in the SBE 33. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, the rig will remind you of that as it reminded me of it because I just plugged it in and then I reached around to hook up the, uh, the antenna connector on the back. You know, so I got, I got one hand on ground and the other hand's touching the chassis. It's about 117 volts there, right? I mean, it, it tingles a little bit. It's not going to throw you across the room or anything. It's not, not recommended. But they actually have a neon light back there. What a cool circuit. And then the way it works is if you plug it in and the neon light comes on, you plugged it in the wrong way. So then you got to unplug it, flip the plug around, plug it in. Now there's no neon light on, and now the chassis is not hot for 110-volt AC. <laughs> but, you know, they get they don't do that in the 34. The 34 has a transformer supply, and it has an AC-DC inverter, so you can run the whole thing off 12 volts. Yeah. At, at some humongous current, I must imagine. Yeah. Yeah, it requires a lot of juice. But but really cool rigs. And the 33 has got, you know, very similar circuitry in there. It's got the, the Geneva mechanism. It's got the Collins mechanical filter. So these two are now uh, on the shelf here, and uh, I will use them from time to time. They will also be retirement projects when I when I am looking for things to work on. So thanks very much for that, Pete. I mean, that is really cool. Um, okay, so what else? Now, now we've got to fast forward how many years? We've got to fast forward like 60 years, right? Yes. To um, And we're going to go out to Dayton, where um, where Hans Summers was talking about the QSX SDR rig. You tell us about that. This is this is in your bailiwick lately. Oh, yeah. Well, first of, I thought was important, is Hans says he's working on it, and everything is not exactly ready. He did not want to put this thing out having a lot of heartburn. So he, he's spending a lot of time proving that everything works. And he says, sometimes you take these projects on and, and he's, oh, yeah, you know, get this thing to work. And it's not, not that. But I, I think he's doing the right thing. But there was a lot of interest at Dayton to hear, hear him discuss how he did this. It's got a teensy in it. Yeah. So it's a very big, big processor. Uh, I think that that Teensy version is, runs at 180 megahertz. So it's a lot more than an Arduino inside of the rig. And uh, it's just a, a, a classic. But, you know, there's a lot of processing that goes on inside that uh, uh, QSX. So I, I can see well that he wants to make sure everything works before he releases it to production. But it's pretty exciting. A lot, a lot of stirred up. a lot. And then I guess Farhan also said, hey, I'm working on a. On an SDR rig too. Ooh, I so the two. I, yeah. Wow. Yeah. All right. The two big guns. The two big guns are moving to the dark side. <laughs> <laughs> Look, but I mean, you know, the QSX. We should remind our listeners. This is Hans Summers' SSB SDR right. rig that's right. coming out, and it's a. It looks like a tiny little thing. It's about the size of two hands. You could hold it, you yeah. know, right like that. But it's got uh, amazing capabilities in it. It's going to be usable on almost all bands, I think, eventually. Yes. And the the price of it is just amazing. It's going to be in the what? In the one hundred and fifty dollar range, right? Something right. like that. So you're going to pay a hundred and fifty bucks 
and you're going to get this rig that's going to put you on sideband on all bands, not just sideband, but but the digital modes all too, of course. All or, modes, all modes. And he's got it chock full of test gear inside the rig. That's right. that's what's really amazing. We've got you know an interview with with uh, Hans, several of them on the uh, on the on the Solder Smoke blog. Take a look for those. You'll learn more. Our uh, our ace correspondent out in in Dayton, Xenia, Ohio, Bob Crane, W8SX. Did some interviews and he talked to to Farhan and he talked to Hans. We've got those up there, but these are exciting times for uh, for home brewing, Pete. I think you're oh, yeah. absolutely right. By by the way, you know Dayton got got pulverized, the Hara Convention Center <laughs> after after the hams left. Yeah, yeah. The radio, the radio gods have spoken. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. Uh, you know that that brings us to a point, Pete. I think it's time for us to go to Dayton. Not me. Well, we're going to work on that. We're going to work <laughs> on that. Me. Not me. Not me. Been there. <laughs> Been there. Done that. I Never know, again. But, but, but here's the thing. I was thinking about this. You and I have never met face-to-face. That's right. And not only that, I've never met Hans. You've never met Hans or Farhan. Right. They'll be there. I know they'll be there next year. So... We're going to begin a persuasion campaign called Let's Get Pete Giuliano to Go to Dayton. <laughs> not me. <laughs> not me. Oh, man. That's, that's, <laughs> not that's, me. Uh, that's not a good sign because I know, you know that, I mean? that, that stubbornness was, is hard to overcome. <laughs> yeah, not me. Uh, well. I mean. Bet, I bet you have never been there. I have been there. Never again. I, I warn you, I am a professional diplomat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> We're going to work on that. All right. But, uh, hey. Exciting stuff too, because you have been working on SDR rigs, and uh, so tell us about that. But also tell us about, and I haven't seen it yet. This Peregrino project out of Sprat right. is that is that SDR related? No, no. Okay, well, do the SDR stuff first. Tell us about what's happening in your in your world of software defined radio. I do want to mention this is Field Day weekend. This is what Field, field Day. day. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, yeah. Once, once again, we are valiantly manning the home front. <laughs> Field day. But it's also 60 years. 60 years of what? Been licensed. You? 60 years. As a matter of fact, I got my license on a Saturday of Field Day 60 years ago. I couldn't wait to get on the get on the air, and no one wanted to talk to me. Because they're all doing CQ Field Day. CQ Field Day, CQ Field Day. <laughs> I just, no one wanted to talk to me. So, and then it was the next day I decoded what CQFD was. <laughs> oh, and this this marked your early love for contests in the AWRL, I'm sure. Yes, yes. He, 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 Pete was traumatized from the yeah, start. It's not yeah, his fault. Well, I was like 17 years old and no one wanted to talk to me. <laughs> you know, so anyway, 60 years. And it was this weekend. So field day. Hey, guys, if you're not in the field day, turn off the radio and go do something else. Because <laughs> no, you got, <laughs> no, you got to try to win field day in the in the, uh, right. in the in the air conditioned home shack, no mosquitoes, fully powered right. home station category. Right. Right. Yeah. right. The heck with field day. Northern yeah. Virginia. Northern Virginia. Northern Virginia. Home brew. Right. The double side band. You know, Pete. Uh, I think the really important thing here is what you just said, the 60, 60th anniversary 
of yes. of Giuliano on the airwaves. Yes, that's that's far more important than uh, field day. This should become like a special event station. So, <laughs> I can somebody... never forget. <laughs> can never forget. Some, some guy in the tent sets up in your front yard, Newberry Park. You know. <laughs> yeah, like, there you go. Special <laughs> call sign. And well, no, wait. N six zero QW. You're right. There you go. There you go. There you go. Right. Well, anyway, you want me to talk about SDR? Please. Okay. Well, I have in work right now a totally homebrew SDR transceiver. And I've got the receiver part, part working pretty well. And maybe yet this weekend I'll get the transmitter section working. But essentially I took the uh, the board that I worked on when, when I implemented Charlie Morris's uh, SDR transceiver. Now he used the Teensy right. and he used the codec board. Okay, so essentially I took the back end of that and I made it add up with a Raspberry Pi and the Quiz software. And uh, it works quite well. Uh, matter of fact, if you really want to see the detail, because there's so much to talk about, I'm documenting this project on my blog, n6qw.blogspot.com. And so I tried to provide um, a lot of the information. So if you wanted to do this, you can. I also have a website dedicated to this. I, I found out for a dollar... I could buy a website, and it's one dollar. Go Daddy special, one dollar, and it's it's www.n6qwradiogenius.us. Right, I love that <laughs> name. That's so true. .us. <laughs> They're in your face. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, if you want to build one, uh, hopefully there's enough information you can do it. It's pretty simple circuitry. And the interesting thing is, I didn't realize it. You can get free ADE ones or SBL ones from Mini Circuits Labs. I got four of them free. Tell us about this. Yeah, you just go to their website and say, "I want to get a sample," and they'll give you four samples. You tell them what you want and what you're going to do with it. So oh, I said, man. "I'm building an SD four SBL ones free, Bill." <laughs> Or four ADE ones free. Well, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to I'm going to put my orders in before I post this podcast out to the world because <laughs> <you're>, <laughs> yeah, they're going to realize something's up. Yeah, <laughs> sorry well, guys. <laughs> oh, what I did, what I did is I I got the four samples and I wrote them back and said, here it is. This is this is right, where right. it got installed, and and they came in like three days, and I heard from some actually. Someone put me onto this. It says, hey, if you're building this thing, you can get these free. The other thing you can get free is the SI-570. Wow. Wow. And so, I mean, you can get two samples free. Those are worth 15 bucks a piece. <laughs> so, I mean, you could build this thing with a lot of free. And the USB controller, which is the heart and soul of this thing that makes it all work, 12 bucks or 12 pounds, which is roughly about 12 bucks right now. You can get that from SDR kits. Wow, wow. So there's there's not a lot of money invested. You can get a lot of free software, and it's working really well. And I've got some YouTube videos. So I hope to maybe get the, the uh, transport part working here. So I think that'd be kind of interesting. That is going to be. Gonna be gonna, I'm, I'm hearing some echo coming back here. I'm going to reduce my my volume here. Oh, okay. We're doing okay. I think it's on my end. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Sure can. Hey, but, but that is really interesting. Now, now, wait a second. Let me ask you a couple things about the uh, about the rig itself. It's it's 
you're 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 going i i and q right you're going right. into a sound card right and i think that's actually more fun because it gives you more circuitry to work on right you've got you, that's right. that's why you call it a radig it's got it's right. it's a mixture between a radio and a rig Correct. I actually, I kind of like that better because the whole front end, basically, it's two direct conversion receivers, right? Yep. So that's it. So you're building there. You've got you've got you've got a foot in both worlds, right? Right. That's that, a radig. That's a radig. That's it. I, I want <laughs> I want it to be known here that that Pete Giuliano is the origin of that word. He's got that one. Yep. And I, 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 I have mine though. I I, I stick uh, a claim. HDR. Yes, you do. HDR is mine. Hardware defined radio guys. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Trademark. Uh, but but I uh, I added a few things to Charlie's design. Uh, the modem coupling transformers. I actually stole that from Hans. Uh-huh. Hans Summers did put these modem transformers in his QCX to reduce hum because the direct conversion receivers are subject to hum. So these isolated transformers do do a lot from that standpoint. And and all of it essentially. Then I also have my um, uh, J310's uh, steered amplifier that acts as a receiver RF amplifier and transmit P driver. There is not a lot of hardware <laughs> to this thing, and the Quist software just works perfect. Well, that's really what? interesting. Uh, you know, I, and I'm I, I've got I was thinking as I was looking at your website because I do I do check it every day, but I have you know when I built Rick Campbell's um, phasing receiver. The um, that that he had a while back, uh, I it it's got the two direct conversion receivers in there, and when I built it, I had in mind that someday I think I was thinking more in terms of I, an IQ kind of binaural receiver, you know, the thing where you get, you know, the the kind of psychedelic effect in the headphones. So I have the outputs of the two direct conversion receivers going to BNC jacks on the back. So it would be fairly easy for me to work on this thing and and get going with your kind of uh, SDR project. Yeah, if you if you don't put them in the combiner at the at the back end, right? You just put them right into the StarTech sound card. You're there. I think I think that would be fun. So that, I'm I'm going to keep that in mind, and I've been looking for something to do with the uh, with with Rick Campbell's receiver. It's great fun to work with, and it's 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 an interesting. Uh, a piece of gear, but uh, yeah, that. So I might, I might join you in in SDR land, Pete. You yeah, might, yeah, you know that that, that waterfall has been luring me in. Yeah, yeah. You know? Hey, there's there's one thing really interesting on the Quist software. There's a lot of functionality in there that I, I'm, you know, every day I discover something new. You can do split operation, so you can have one receive in one ear and one receive in the other ear. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can do serious contesting with this. Oh, people, please, Pete. People are crazy enough at this point. This is just going to send some folks right over the yeah, edge. Yeah, oh, yeah, man. yeah. Hey, uh, you know, speaking of this, speaking of SDR and waterfalls and everything else, I was looking through a, a book that you and I have both probably almost memorized, Single Sideband for the Radio Amateur. I, I love that book. Yeah. And every time I open it up, there's something new in there that, See, seems like oh wow it's, it's very relevant to today take a look in that thing and it's sort of the back end of the book and it's like it's called the article is um using your receiver to evaluate ssb signals and it's like you know this book is from like the early 60s but the author and i wish i don't have it handy here but the author goes on and he describes how 
how important it is to back off on the RF gain control when you're listening to an SSB signal. Because if the signal is strong enough to be overloading the front end of your receiver, you'll be in no way able to make valid evaluations of the quality of the signal. And I thought about that when we were talking about the the uh, the web the waterfall police, because I bet you that all these guys who come on and say your signal is 20 kcs wide, you're blocking out the whole band. I bet you there's been no attempt to determine whether that that strong signal is overloading the receiver. And I bet you there's they, they haven't even thought about the possibility of backing off the front end so that, that it's no longer at the point where it's overloading and then take a look at it. In other words, yeah, I always thought, you know, I, 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 I've been tempted to say this to a couple of guys. I said, well, listen, why don't you do this? Why don't you take a look at your own signal, right? You go hit the transmit button on the 1KW transmitter and then take a look at how your signal looks on your waterfall display. I guarantee you it's not going to be, you know, 2.7 KCs wide. But anyway, I grumble. Anyway, yes. anyway, it was a good article. So, all right, so we're going to be looking for updates on the SDR project, and you're going to get it going. What is your try? What, I mean, I know the, the waterfall is what gets me, the, the ability to look at the whole band and look back in time. That is the cool part of it. What, what's your, what, what has really got you hooked on SDR, Pete? Well, I am listening to signals and the ability to move that SDR in like one hertz increments, you can really zero in. And then all of a sudden there's a magic sweet spot. And it just everything just sounds like it comes together. The other thing is the filtering. You can add uh, the stock normal default is 2.8 kilohertz. And then you can move that down to 2 kilohertz. I, I like listening. And then all of a sudden... You may hear a little crud to the side. You put that two kilohertz in there, and and the signal quality really improves because you hear nothing but that signal. And to me, the ability to have the digital filtering is significant. Yeah, is significant. I mean, in terms if it's a crowded band like this weekend, I'm looking forward to putting the receiver on and just listening because obviously CQ Field Day, (laughs) the band's going to be loaded. Yeah. So I want to really do an evaluation. And I think the ability to do the digital filtering makes a big difference. And the other thing, too, is you want to listen to AM, 10 kilohertz. <laughs> you can listen to 10 kilohertz AM. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Wow. Free this... software. Free software. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Well, you know, it's, I, was, I, don't, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but, but I was – every once in a while I'll get on and I'll find – uh, I'll, I'll be chatting on Facebook or on on Google with Farhan because our morning is his evening and vice versa. So very often we're kind of in front of the computer at the same time. And we were we were talking about you, and I said to Farhan, I said, no one has earned the right to move beyond uh, S, uh, HDR SSB transceivers than Pete Giuliano. And he, he said... You must hold the record. You may hold the worldwide record for the most HDR <laughs> SSB transceivers ever produced by a single radio amateur. Have you ever tried to count them up? Three dozen. Three dozen. <laughs> yeah. All right. There you go. Has anybody built more than 36 uh, SSB transceivers? Let us know, because if not, we're going to award Pete Giuliano the award. <laughs> and and here's the thing. That really does give you kind of the, the right, I think, and kind of it, it explains 
I think it's a real positive thing that you're looking into new territory because you know you got to look, you got to do something different. Variety is the spice of life, and this is the you're, you're at the, you're moving into the cutting edge, and why not have fun with it? You know. Well, there's another side to this, Bill. And previously, when I dabbled with SBR, you had this big computer that you had to yeah. hook hook into things. This now is is like the Asus Tinkerboard. It, yeah. It's it's more powerful than than the Raspberry Pi. Yeah. I can tell the difference. <laughs> I can tell the difference. So I paid like fifty nine bucks for it. Fifty nine dollar computer running a high powered SDR rig is amazing. Or a thirty five dollar computer, which will do a very credible job. It's just you have a little more functionality, mainly because of the software that's the basic software that's used on the on the Asus Tinkerboard. Oh, wow. And now there, there's a $10 one. Somebody's out there with a $10 computer. I may buy one just to try it. Oh, man, it's going to be it's great, great fun. Go for it. Yeah. 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 Hey, um, that brings me to something I wanted to mention. And this this occurred to me, uh, I guess, about a week ago. I was watching 60 Minutes and they were doing a show on rare earth minerals and all these, you know, from the periodic table, there's the rare earth minerals. Now they become really important because big, big chunks of high tech depend on them. I think the F-35 fighter has about 500 pounds of rare earth minerals in it. And every one of our smartphones is just chock full of these rare earth minerals. Now, here's the thing. They were talking on 60 Minutes. They started talking about how the the speakers, the internal speakers on an iPhone make use of the rare earth minerals and i imagine it's for these uh for the magnets in the, in the speaker but but here's the thing i've been impressed with i have this uh iphone 6 and i'll listen to pandora on it it's got amazing sound quality now the speaker itself can't be bigger than your pinky fingernail it's mm-hmm. tiny little things As a matter of fact i was looking this morning on on YouTube, and they have uh, a couple of videos there on how to replace the speaker. It is, in fact, about the size of your pinky finger now. But amazing sound quality. I mean, you don't even need external speakers. If, you know, you're getting ready to go to work in the morning, you turn the thing on, you turn on Pandora, it sounds really good, even with music. So my idea is, why aren't we using these things in ham radio? In other words, we're, we're coming up with the, I, mean, I imagine they're in the Baofangs and, and these other devices, but us as home brewers, I mean, when we're building these things, we're still taking these old clunky, you know, <laughs> a piece of paper and put it in there. It's it's pretty barbaric. These are The speakers we're using are the same speakers that they used in 1925. Um, I'm just wondering, they've got to be available if you go to Alibaba or if you go onto the parts stores, they've got to be out there. And I haven't seen any uh, ham radio designs, certainly in the homebrew area, where that was the, the, the kind of the audio transducer. Have you? Mm-mm. All right. There we go. There's a challenge, guys. Let's, let's make use of these tiny little speakers. But there's an important issue here. Tell me. Where do you think those rare earth magnets come from? Well, I know. Well, that's, what, that's what 60 Minutes was talking about. And that's what they Africa. Were. Africa. They're coming from Africa, and a lot of them coming from a lot of the stuff is coming out of China too. So there's yeah. that kind of concern. But we we leave all that stuff behind, and and uh, yeah. we're just wanting to know how we can put them to use in our beloved rigs and radigs. Yes. Hey, um, all right. So we're going to talk about Peregrino here in a minute. That that's that's like the sparkling water. 
Yes. <laughs> but but uh, but first, I want to say we were since we were talking about waterfalls, you know, I started getting waterfall envy. You know, I was thinking, gosh, all these SDR guys, they're having all the fun. They have the waterfalls. And I was reminded of the old pan adapters. You know, these were the kind of things, only the most advanced radio amateurs had pan adapters. I remember it was the kind of thing that you'd see in QST ads, you'd read about it. But that was like so far beyond the pale, beyond the capabilities or even the aspirations of most of us that we never really got into it. But then I started thinking, wait a second, what was going on there? Really, all they were doing is they were, instead of turning the dial with your hand, they were having the VFO kind of sweep back and forth. And then they had a, a CRT, a little mini CRT that was somehow calibrated. And, you know, it would go along and boom, you'd see little bumps where other signals were. So I was just sitting here one day and I decided, let's try to do that here. I had my, my field tech signal generator that does the sweep function. And I hooked it up to a, a BIDX40. I figured out what frequencies I wanted to sweep to sweep the 40-meter uh, sideband, phone band. And then for the, for the readout, for the, S, for the CRT, I used the, the Rigol scope, and I just took the audio output of the BIDX40. It took me a while to get it going, to get it working right. I had problems keeping it locked on and synced, and Alan, W2AEW, came up with a good suggestion on how to handle that. But it works, and it would sit there. It was great fun. I would sit there. Instead of listening to 40, I would sort of watch 40. Now, it doesn't give you nearly the information that you get from a real SDR waterfall display. Don't get me wrong. It's very crude. And not only that, this thing was invented back in the 30s. There, I have, on the, I have a, a, an article on this on the blog, and you could see the, the ads from the 1930s and 40s, I think, from Halicrafters, where they had one of these installed in one of their receivers. So it's it's real old tech, but it was kind of fun. It was kind of a kind of a hack, and that's I think why the Hackaday guys uh, put it up there. I, I think some of the Hackaday readers had just real trouble getting their head around the whole thing, but it was fun. I'm, I put that up there. So that was my effort to bring some waterfall into the world of HDR. Pathetic as it was. No, I, that was cool. <laughs> that, that was that was great stuff, Bill. Yeah. Very cool. So tell us about the Peregrino. The Peregrino is something that came out in the latest <clears throat> Sprat, and we, yeah. I have not received mine. You, yours is arrived. Mine, mine will probably arrive here today in an hour or so, but it's not here yet. So tell us about this. It's in the Sprat, the summer Sprat. Yeah. By the way, while you're talking about displays in that, a guy has a 455 kilohertz test instrument, and he shows it displayed on an analog scope. <laughs> So you're, it's going to catch your interest. It, it'll. It, I, I thought of you immediately when I saw it. Okay, on the front cover of the latest Sprat is this Peregrino, which is a 17-meter single sideband transceiver with 84 parts. Wow. Is this 80, out of Spain? Spain, yes. Okay. It was, And actually, the diagrams are all dated 2013. I remember I remember seeing this thing. So so it it's it's really it's and I tried to contact the authors and one of the call signs doesn't exist any longer and the other one has no address because I I was very intrigued by this. First of what caught my eye is it's not unlike the sudden transceiver. It uses two NE612s. Just just like I did in the sudden and they use a very unique system here. Essentially, they switch the sideband filter 
on transmit and receive. They got a, two relays. Yeah. So they they use the first NE six twelve as as the receiver mixer, but it's also used as the transmit mixer. And the other uh, NE six twelve is the product detector and the balance modulator. So by steering the filter between pins one and four works on transmit and receive. So well, like I, on the, I think I have something like that going in in the in the uh, the little rig that I built with the two NE six hundred twos. Probably very the same. Yeah. Uh, in in my sudden transceiver, I just used a single pass, so that the NE six twelves were always permanently connected to the filter, and essentially you just either in the input it's either the RF coming out of the uh, RF amplifier or the input from the balance modulator. And on the output side, it either went to the the audio amplifier or it went to the it was the transmit mixer. It went out to the bandpass filters. You know, I don't even remember how I did. I have to take a look at the at the blog. But, but anyway, eighty four parts and seventeen meters. Now there's a couple things in there, and and it only has it's it's QRPP. It's got a two N fifty one oh nine. That's it. And it says it starts off by saying these guys were. At a bar or something like that, drinking. <laughs> they said, how, how can we come up with a... Oh. Now, um, it uses a 3.392 megahertz four-pole crystal filter and then gets That's that up. That's the heat frequency, right? Uh, close. Okay. They used they used uh, discrete crystals, not not a heat kit filter okay. itself. Okay. Discrete crystals. Uh. And then there's a comment in there from a UK ham that said he couldn't find those, so he made it at 1.832, which is a standard uh, crystal that you can buy for about 40 cents. <clears throat> now, there are a couple things in the design that uh, caught my attention. First of, they have a built-in antenna tuner, and and they designed it so you have to use it with a a Zeppelin antenna, a Zepp antenna, so it's a high impedance. Yeah. And they're saying it was not – don't put it on 50 ohms because the antenna tuner acts as to, to match the high impedance of the NFED, NFED wire acts as kind of like a low-pass filter. There's no low-pass filter on this thing. Yeah. So they said, if you put 50 ohms in here, this thing is not going to work. So I said, oh, okay, uh, that that's probably not a really good idea because the first thing's going to happen, someone's going to connect it to 50 ohms and they're going to get – they're going to run into some some difficulty. The other thing is they use a VXO, and they use a, a crystal uh, that they're able to tweak to get the upper sideband on 17 meters. And they're able to, with the, they're using a kind of like a super VXO. They got a couple crystals in in the VXO feeding the the one NE612. They said they they cover like almost the entire band. Yeah, band. because they, they probably have, the probably crystals probably up around 21 megahertz. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. they're they're easy to pull. That's what I do. I have yeah. two, I have, in my 17 meter rig, I have two crystals at 23 megahertz. And yeah. I, and they're, you know, you can pull them so far, I, with two crystals, I can cover almost the entire 17 meter phone yeah. band. Yeah. So, I looked at that and I said, okay, throw those out. <laughs> Put an SI-50. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. 20 bucks. <laughs> and, and it does, it the sizes, you know, the size. Of, they have a circuit board. Like I now said, the, Pete, you've earned the right. Yeah, <laughs> they have a circuit board. The boards were not made as a kit, but they give you the layout so that you could etch the boards. And they use the uh, uh, 
the polyvericons for, yeah. for tuning. So, I mean, the front cover, this thing is, I'd say it's four, three by four inches. Wow. I mean, it's not, it's not big at all, but, but it's, the idea is it's, it's a 250-109, which you could, under some condition, get a watt out of this thing. But I thought it was a really innovative design. What caught my eye, switch, I've never switched a crystal filter like that. So that's another way to do it in terms of being bilateral circuitry. Essentially, they're switching the crystal filter to the input to the output versus a single pass or versus having – uh, it actually being bidirectional through the filter. So uh, c- kind of interesting to see. 84 parts, Bill. 84 80, parts. 84 parts. We'll have to take a look. 17, yeah. 17 meters. It would be kind of lonely these days. Um, 20 is better. I mean, I've been finding 20 meters better. I mean, I've, I've been, I've been, every time I get on <clears> 20 <throat> meters, I can make contacts. I mean, 17 can't be that much worse. But um, we really definitely are down into the, well, in the doldrums now. Well, what, what I would... What I would do is if I were going to do this, because I happen to have bags of them, I'd use a 4.9152 megahertz crystal filter in there. Mm. And then if you used a 19 megahertz VXO, that puts you on 20 meters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Very cool. I, I, I feel you drifting back into the world of hardware-defined no, radio. No, no. I, I, I think some peregrinos are going to be popping up. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, I have a. I want to write them because I have a 17-meter radio that has the 4.9152 in it and already, and I just wanted to share that with them, say, hey, you know, you could modify this thing to operate was something a little bit different, or you could put it on 20 meters. That that was, but I I'm not able to contact them because there's there's no contact information. Uh, we'll 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 find them. We'll get in touch with these guys. But that okay. is, that oh. is really very cool. But you know your your discussion there of uh, of IFs and the frequency range for the VFOs brings us to the other topic that we wanted to talk about today, which is the new device yes. that's about ready to burst onto into yes. the world of ham radio from from the very very kind of Productive workshop of, uh, of our friend Farhan there in Hyderabad, and that is his new device called the Antuino, very nicely named Antu- Antuino, like Arduino but for an antenna. This is a a really cool little box. He calls it an RF lab in a box, and it is. It takes you when you first get it. It takes you a while to realize the capabilities that are in there. And it's got a it's it's got a really kind of appealing mix of big capabilities but simple circuitry. It's really pretty a simple device. Now, I'll give you the backstory on this. He was working on the CubeSats that they put into space. Now, he's put two up there, and at one point he needed a test piece of test gear, almost like a spectrum analyzer or an antenna analyzer that he could fit inside the CubeSats. The CubeSats are tiny little things. I mean. Little tiny boxes, so that's that led to the development of the and what became known as the Antuino. I'll tell you about the Antuino. It's got three functions in it. One, it's an SWR meter with uh, a di- with a display. It'll it'll display the the range. It'll it'll sweep a set of frequencies and display a curve showing you where the SWR is for your antenna your antenna system over a given frequency range. 
it uses a, a bridge device. It's got a bridge in there, and it, it just shows you where it shows up as 50 ohms resistive, that kind of thing. That's one function. It's also got um, an SNA, um, which is a network analyzer. What's the, what's the S for? I forget the S. What's the S for? Signal? I forget right now. Yeah, yeah. It's a network analyzer. Network analyzer. Well, it'll come to me in a second. But what that does, it allows you to sweep uh, a filter, whether it's a crystal filter or a bandpass filter. Again, you set the, the frequency range that you want and scalar network analyzer. Scalar. Scalar. All right. All right. It's sort of it's similar to a uh, spectrum analyzer, but but not quite, but but good enough, close enough. Anyway, the scalar network analyzer, you you take the output of the of the device, and it's one on one little RMA jack. You send it into the input of the filter, and the other goes to the input of the device. It scans across, and it paints you a picture of what. The, 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 the bandpass characteristic of the filter is. Now, when I was testing it, I just pulled out of the box a Heathkit filter, an SSB filter. And I knew there was no, I wasn't doing any impedance matching. I knew that the Heathkit filter wanted a higher impedance. I think you pointed out it needs 2K. Uh, but th this thing is at 50 ohms. So I knew that the passband was, was going to have a lot of ripple in it, but I wanted to see how wide it was. And I fired this thing up. It scanned it, and boom, exactly what was predicted. It's got the right bandwidth for the for the crystal filter, but it's got the ripple that you'd expect if you had a failure to, to adequately match the impedance. I have a picture of this up on the blog. So, wow, I became a believer right there in the power of the Antuino. You know, I've been doing this for years manually. I mean, I sit there, and I move it, you know, 100 hertz, and I write down the output from the Rigol scope, and I go through the whole passband then i plug it in and i have it take the log values and i have it display uh you know a curve in in db and that is really barbaric this does it all for you automatically but then here here's what i think is the most powerful part of this rf lab in a box and that's the power meter all right now it seems like okay that's just a power meter no no it's different it's a power meter that will scan up and down from your output frequency. And what it allows you to do, it allows you to search for the dreaded spurs. You know, I've been building, we've been building these rigs for years, and I've never really thought all that much about spurs. You know, if the thing wasn't oscillating on other frequencies, if it wasn't taken off like a banshee, if it was putting out a signal that was more or less, you know, one-to-one -one on the desired frequency, I figured I'm good, right? Of course, not really, because there are FCC regs that require spurious output to be below 40 dB and all that. I, I wasn't paying enough attention to that. All right, I would look at it on my Rigol scope. If the waveform looked pretty, eh, good enough. Well, Antuino comes along, and it allows you to scan up and down, you know, 12, case, 12 megahertz up, 12 megahertz down, around your frequency and you can see exactly in db how far down the spurs you are putting out are believe me it's a scary sight i looked at my beautiful beloved 40 meter digitia that i built four or five years ago i love this thing even the 40 meter sideband police even those guys who are so super critical 
came on, oh, you sound really good, Bill. It sounds great. Sometimes they'll annoy you. You know, we've talked about, sounds good for a home brew rig. You know, ah, you get mad at them. But everybody says it sounds good. So I figured, oh, it must be it must be perfect. Well, I put it on the Antuino. Mm-mm. Dirty. My Digitia was dirty. It had spurs at all kinds of places that were beyond 40 dB down from the main signal. And you know what? I went through this whole process. First, I was in denial. I think I sent you a couple messages. No, I think it's, it must be VHF, RFI getting into the Antuino. You, you want to shoot the messenger. You want to criticize the device that's telling you that your rig is dirty. Farhan came back. He was calm. He just said, no, no, realize that when you start looking at it in the frequency domain, you learn things that you didn't know about before. So then it was it was really a good process, Pete, because I, I you advised me, first of all, to tighten up the test setup, which is important, because there is VHF RFI, especially in an area like I live in, and unless you've got good shielded solid connections and a good attenuator, you could be having some of that stuff leak in, in there and give you kind of corrupted uh, kind of readouts. So I have this great 30 dB attenuator that came with the Hewlett-Packard signal generator that Steve Silverman gave me a while back. Dave Bamford carried it across New York City in a subway for me. And I'd never really used it, but I got the end connectors, got it all hooked up, and all of a sudden the test situation kind of tightened up, and I wasn't so worried about VHF RFI getting in there. And now there they were. The spurs were still there. I had a general coverage receiver. I would tune to, the the Antuino would tell me there's a spur like 5.34 megs. I'm thinking, baloney, no, it can't be. My Digitia wouldn't do that to me. I pull out the general coverage receiver, I tune to 5.34 megs, and I can hear the little devil there too, right? <laughs> so the Antuino speaks the truth. So then I started thinking, why? What? You know, and I hadn't really even thought about this. It was a really educational process. And of course, I mean, the, 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 you, after a while, when you think about the circuitry, when you think about where these spurs are being generated, it's, it's the mixer in the transceiver that's taking your IF signal and transporting it up to 40 meters, right? Or down to 40 meters in this case. So then I started thinking, all right, and I started thinking, okay, well, it could be the second harmonic of the output signal mixing with the VFO and the, the third. Uh, stop. You'll, you'll drive yourself nuts. Wes Hayward has in his lad pack package of software that comes with experimental methods for RF design, a program called SpurTune. And it is, it is, it was so useful for me because you just put it up there and you say, okay, it, it asks you, what is your IF and what range is your VFO tuning? Okay. What's the frequency of the BFO? All right. You put it in there. And then you could select first order products, second, third harmonics, all the, way out, all the way down to like the 12th harmonic of each. And then it gives you a screen. It shows you where your signal is, and it shows you where you can expect the spurs and the relative signal strength to the main signal. So this is, this is, this is wonderful. Because, and you could actually, by playing with the, the values of the what order harmonics you're selecting, you can figure out what harmonics are causing it. But the, the bottom line lesson, Pete, for me, and I'm sure you learned this lesson a long time ago, but I didn't learn it until just this week, you got to pay a lot of attention to that bandpass filter. I had always had the idea, well, all the bandpass filter has to do is knock down 
the, 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 the sum or the difference product from the mixer, the one that you don't want. But it's a lot more than that because it's going to take care of a lot of these spurs. You should get it as narrow as you can to cover the band that you want to cover. You also have to pay attention to the kind of the stop band attenuation. You don't want it to be super lossy. But if you can get it down narrow, you can take care of a lot of these spurs. You can see them there in, in spur spot. And you could think, well, yeah, if I had the pass band down, if you, ideally, in my case, it would be like 7.125 to 7.3 megs, right? And so then very few spurs would fall in there. Uh, anyway, so they, it, it alerted me what was going on, and I went ahead and I rebuilt the the filter for the Digitia. I decided to use the same bandpass filter that Farhan had in his BIDX40 module, the, the board that was pre-assembled. I found the circuitry on online. I had most of the parts in the junk box, all the parts in the junk box. And then I fired up this, this other program called Elsie, E-L-S-I-E. You know, it's a joke. It sounds like Elsie the cow, but it's Elsie, L-C. Get it? Inductance capacitance. And I was able to build this filter in Elsie and then see it predicts the passband. And it was exactly what I needed. It was much more narrow than the thing that I had thrown in there when I first constructed the Digitia. I had... I, with the Digitia, I made these filters plug in. I have these big kind of banana plugs that go in there and plug it in. So it made, made it easier just to pluck out the old one, build a new one, pluck in the new one. And a dramatic difference. I mean, really, you could see how the more, the narrow filter really took care of, of all this stuff. So, uh, I think this is going to be a, a, a big hit. You know, the Antuino, it's, it, it's, like I said, it, it's a, it's a simple device. The SWR meter is basically the bridge. But the heart of the Antuino, he's built in there a, a SuperHet receiver with a 25 megahertz IF. He's got two crystal filters, so it really narrows it down. And so when you're tuning across, that what's happening is the SI5351 is sweeping the frequencies that you've looked, that you've told it to look for. And whatever products pop up as it sweeps go through the the superhead receiver inside the box, and at the output, he has one of these logarithmic output chips that just translates the analog input into a logarithmic output, and that's what goes to the screen. So it's really interesting. You've got a little superhead receiver in there with crystal filters. You've got an ADE1 at the input, and you've got this logarithmic amplifier at the end, and then it feeds into the display from the Arduino Nano that's also in there. So an amazing piece of gear, and I think it's going to really be be useful for for lots of guys out there. I know you've got amazing. one. You've got one there. Yours is going to be calling you, Pete. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I observed something interesting on my SDR that follows exactly that. Uh, I have just a simple bandpass filter in there, which uh, on the blog I've indicated is not is not going to be good enough. When when you build a final configuration, so it's just a simple two section. I noticed that when I tuned down into the CW portion of the band, I'm seeing all these spikes on on the spectrum display. And then when you move up into the phone band, the only spikes that you see are actual signals. So I said, "What the hell's that? You know, what, yeah. what's going on here?" And then I realized. The bandpass filter is only working, is tuned up to the phone portion of yeah, the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So, I mean, I, I, I could right away, I, I knew I had to put a three section in there and the two sections in there. And I, I said, let's let's repeat that. So then I retuned it down to the CW portion of the band and and it was a clean spectrum. Yeah. So so I mean, I'm able to see that on the SDR display is exactly what you're saying. Yeah. So I'm going to be operating mostly single sideband on this so I'll, I'll retune it up there but you want to get a band pass that really is like like a brick wall you know in a sense yeah with the, hardware, with the hardware it's really important and it's yeah. not just a matter of knocking down the unwanted summer difference and, product no there's much more in there that when you, and when you look at spur tune you realize that all the all these spurs are there, right. and, and and I mean, look, we're we're dealing in, in in the world of single conversion here. You put a double yeah. conversion receiver in there, you got two of these things going on. Yeah. I mean, so it's it's it makes it it makes it tough. You know, it it's every time you go through something like this, you learn a lot about your gear and you learn a lot about test gear too. One thing I was using, you know, we have our we all have these little Rigol scopes, the fifty or one hundred megahertz scope, and they have the fast Fourier transform in there. Now, everybody knows that they're not like a real spectrum analyzer, but those are useful, too. And there's a, there's a trick that I learned as I was fooling around with this. When you have the signal up there displayed in the waveform, we like to have it so it's, you know, you see in three or four cycles on the screen. And then you hit math and you turn on the fast Fourier transform, and it gives you more of like a frequency domain display. The thing is, if you crank up, if you take the signal and you compress it, so that it's you've got not not three or four cycles, but maybe three or four dozen cycles. So you don't really see the the individual waveform. You just see it all kind of scrunched together. If you watch what's going on down in the math function, down in the fast Fourier transform, the uh, the frequency, the ability to distinguish frequencies, the number of frequencies displayed per centimeter per grid square there goes way up. At the start, it's like you know there's like three three megahertz per per square but when you crunch it down like this it comes down to 125 kcs per square and that's where you really start seeing these spurs pop up so then i could see the spurs that antoino was predicting when i did it this way i could move across on the fast fourier transform and i could see them displayed on the rigol scope too and that further convinced me that there was that antoino was speaking the truth right but right. It, it a lot of it becomes a, a, just a matter of being familiar with the test gear and knowing how to use it. So this is a word of caution that I'm going to put out for folks who are going to anxiously go and go get the Antuino. I'm going to follow. Please follow. Find pizza. out first. <laughs> well, I mean, learn, figure out what you're doing. This is really not plug and play radio. This is not a matter of you're going to take this thing, plug it into your rig and say, oh, I'm good. I'm done. You really got to think about what you're testing. Got to be careful about how much power you put into this thing because the, the inputs are these little surface mount transistors at 51 ohms. They're very easy to blow up, Pete. I know. I blew up two of them. You did? Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it was in the midst of my, when I was in frustrated denial, I must have done something. Because, five, five, five watts into the rig, right? Well, I think I think one watt into the rig would do it. I mean, yeah, I think they, they want, they're, they're looking at like, uh, you, you're supposed to put in like zero dBm, one milliwatt or something like that. So, uh, yeah, I, I opened the thing up, and when these things blow up, they blow up. I mean, I, I, there, there's a lot of space in there. So I looked down, and I could see two of the resistors, two of the 51-ohm resistors in there were just like a little blown up. So did you have to repair it? I did. 
I'm so proud of myself. Ooh. And I replaced them with one quarter watt leaded resistors. <laughs> okay. Those okay. things are, it's going to be hard to blow those up. Yeah, 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 but yeah. I, 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 I'll eventually try to put the proper parts in there. But for the meantime, I just wanted to get the thing going again. So I took two quarter watt resistors two, at, 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 at 50 ohms and just carefully soldered them right onto the pads. So it was kind of a satisfying kind of old school repair of the Antuino. But believe me, guys, you want to avoid that. So be careful. The other thing I would recommend is, you know, the Antuino has these uh, kind of, I think they're the RMA connectors. On SMA. The SMA. 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 SMA connectors, right? They're little tiny things. They're like mostly with little tiny wire in it. And I, I don't have I don't have a lot of connectors. All of my connectors here are kind of BNC these days. But I found at the Hamfest last week uh, SMA to uh, BNC adapters, and I put them on there. It makes it a whole lot easier to use this thing. The uh, speaking of adapters, the uh, the attenuator, the HP attenuator uses N connectors. These fancy N connectors, and I, I had to go to the onto the internet and find some adapters for that. But once I got that going. The, the test setup was really kind of nice, and it's it's been useful. I, I also realize now that um, I have to work on the uh, the bandpass filter for the 20 meter bit X too. It's 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 way too way too wide, so I'm going to tighten that up. So I think this is going to put me closer to uh, actual compliance with FCC regulations that I've been in a long time. By the way, I wanted to mention you can at Jinko Electronics you can buy a two foot length of uh, it has RG174 with an SMA connector on either end. Yeah. Buy that Hummer, cut it in half. Yeah. You got two one-foot sections, and just get yourself some BNC connectors, and you you can make it. It'll cost you about six, seven bucks, but but you'll have them at least a foot long. You can put mm-hmm. them, uh, put it, make up a little panel that you can adapt to it. So anyway, that's a that, that's a way to solve that problem. Really, really important. And this has been one of my. Uh, you know, one of my kind of New Year's resolutions for several years now is to improve the test gear capabilities here at the shack. I think the next thing I'm going to do now that I'm now that I've been fretting about spurs and taking care of spurs, the next thing to fret about is IMD and IMD performance. I need I I don't I'm ashamed to say it I don't even have a two tone test generator here in the shack. Build one. Well, yeah, yeah, but I have, I, you know, I have this thing about building test gear. I, I, I don't know. Uh, every time I, 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 then I start repairing the test gear. Then I need test gear to test the test gear that I built. I went out onto the internet and saw about whether I could just buy a two-tone test generator. Oh <coughs> yeah, you can. Two hundred seventy-five dollars. And you, you look at the circuit, and it looks like there's about twelve bucks worth of parts in there, max. Yeah. So I, I didn't want to do that. But then here, I had this idea. My idea was I looked around and hold up, hold, wait a second. The FieldTech SIG generator has output one and output two, and you could run them both at the same time. And I fooled around a little bit with it. And yeah, you could set output one at 750 hertz. You could set output two at 1200 hertz. Do it through a little resistive combiner. And I thought, Bob's your uncle, right? Farhan's not, not so sure. Clean. Not, not clean. clean. No, That's the problem. Uh, That's the yeah. problem. But Farhan sent us something that was interesting, and it was just a, an audio file from his phone that has the two signals in there. And that's a lot cleaner. That's a really interesting idea. Beats spending $275 for somebody's audio oscillator. So anyway, this is the next frontier. I'll be, I'll be now fretting about my IMD performance and uh, 
hopefully the uh, the forty meter waterfall police. Your friends with SDR gear there, Pete, will be will be merciful on me. Well, you know, it's interesting. A guy the other day on seventy five meters, uh, he he wasn't being a dick about this. Said, "Hey," he said, "I'm I'm seeing some energy on the other sideband." And so he said, crank back your audio. And I cranked it back and he says, it's gone. So he said, don't move your, he said, you were overdriving it. So he said, that's where you leave the setting. That was useful. I mean, it, it was somebody assisting you. I said, yeah, but I always tune for Max Smoke. <laughs> he, said, <laughs> he said, crank it back. He said, you still have Max Smoke, but you've re- reduced the energy in the other sideband. Well, so you I know, said, I, I that's good. I, I think you get you get a similar lesson from the Antuino. When you're doing the test, you realize that if you crank up the input signal to the point where you're starting to overdrive some of the amplifiers and the transmitter, yes, it gets a lot uglier, right? So, but it, but that that power meter <laughs> really really picks up to 800 watts. <laughs> hey, uh, I want to mention something here because just by coincidence, just before uh, Farhan's Antuino burst on the scene. Uh, a Soda Smoke listener and fan for a long time, um, Walt Thomas, K3ASW, sent me something in the mail. Very similar, similar idea. And this is uh, an idea from our old friend Mike, KL7R, uh, who was with us here on the podcast in the beginning. And his website from Juneau, Alaska, was a real treasure. It has disappeared. And that's the, that's the problem with... With the websites, I mean, I don't think the uh, the blogs from Google will ever go go away. I back it up every once in a while, anyway. But his, Mike's website is gone, and it's not. I can't even really find it on the Wayback Machine. But Walter, um, Walt, he he copied it, and what he copied was a project that Mike had come up with, you know, ten years ago, called the Homebrew Manual Spectrum Analyzer. And it's a really cool circuit. It's, it's a simplified version of what, what Farhan has in the Antuino, but he does it manually. He has RFN goes through a step attenuator, another device that I need around here, by the way. Then he goes to an AD, ADE1 mixer, which Farhan has inside the box. He feeds it with a DDS60 SIG generator. This is like, I think, from AD9850 days. And then... He doesn't go through an actual receiver. He doesn't have any amplifiers in there, but he has a 10 megahertz a band, a crystal bandpass filter with a 3 kilohertz bandwidth. He takes the output to a W7ZOI power meter, right, which is basically the, the logarithmic uh, right. detector feeding, and in his case, I think he had the, yeah, he had the, uh, he and I built these, these things together with an analog uh, needle on it instead of the digital display. And what he's able to do with that, he puts the signal into RFN and then he manually tunes the, 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 the VFO and he keeps an eye on the spurs that pop up. So it's kind of a, a crude version of what I used to do, but there it is. Uh, and I thanks, I thank Walt for sending that to me. I'm going to, going to scan it in and put it up there. But, uh, yeah, uh, Farhan has taken this up quite a bit and made it a lot easier and the displays especially are, are quite cool but like i tell you yourself tell you guys keep an open mind don't shoot the messenger don't shoot the antuino be prepared to face the cold hard truth right spurs are ugly things 
While we got a small break here, Bill, don't forget the Shameless Commerce Division. It is time for the Shameless Commerce Division. We have been, in our enthusiasm, Pete, we have been forgetting this in the last few episodes. But I, I want to remind people that the way you can support the Solder Smoke blog and um, SITB, stick it to Bezos, uh, is uh, by, by using the, the little search block that's in the upper right-hand corner of the Solder Smoke blog. Begin your Amazon search, hopefully for something extremely expensive, up there. Then everything else works the same for your Amazon purchase, and uh, we get about 5%, and Bezos sends it to us for the referral. So this is how we keep the Solder Smoke <laughs> podcast technologically going here, and uh, we really appreciate it. But it's, it's a kind of a fun way to do it, and I appreciate everybody who tries to begin their Amazon searches on the Solder Smoke blog. Amazon's big news around here now. Amazon, because they're going to build HQ2, their second headquarters, about six miles down the road. And it's it's going to be quite something. You're going to love the traffic, Bill. Eh, it's okay. We're all right with that. Um, they're going to build a, uh, as part of it, they're going to build an extension of Virginia Tech University, almost right adjacent to the Amazon campus. And it's going to be a graduate level campus for innovation and technology. It's all going to be right down the road there. So uh, it's oh, I, it's it's actually people are pretty 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 positive about it. So all kidding aside about Mr. Bezos, uh, it's I think it's going to be a bit of good thing for us here, and uh, real interesting development. But hey, what's what's the, oh yeah, what else is going on? I went to the Manassas Ham Fest, Pete. And ooh. yep, what you get? What you get? Oh, I got I got some really good stuff. First, it was good to meet up with uh, with old friends there. Armand was there to be a one UQO. He was there with his buddy Wynn, W4WIN, I think down in the Richmond area. And we ran into Charles, AI4OT, who we, we, we very often see at the Hamfest. Uh, Charles is a, a home brewer, a QRP guy, a BitX fan. And he was, uh, he was, he had a, he had a, he was in the tailgate and he was selling some stuff there, including a very interesting slide rule. I thought about you, Pete. A slide rule? Slide rule, man. <laughs> Old school. Old school. Um, I, I still have my K&E. I you know, still have it. Yeah. You had, that was the standard, a K&E. Nesser. Yes. You know, well, we're approaching the anniversary of Apollo 11. This It's yeah. going to be during July. And there's a lot of nostalgia stuff coming out. A lot of good stuff. And so the slide rules were what got us to the moon. Anyway, good stuff. Uh, and it was, it was good to see them. You know, I, I, I picked up. You know, little bits and pieces of stuff. I got the, the connectors and the adapters that I need. I found this beautiful roller inductor. Ooh. And people don't know. People don't know how valuable these things are. But, I mean, this is like a big roller inductor with two pieces of porcelain at either end. And they're not cracked. Usually you'll find them cracked, not cracked. So I, I picked that up. What else did I get? Um, you know, just little bits and pieces of stuff. Let me look around here. What else? What else was there? Oh, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Let me show you this. I got an actual genuine piece of Drake equipment. A low-pass filter? Yeah. Yeah, hey, yeah, it's, cool. It's Drake yeah. from Miamisburg, Ohio. Yeah. 52 ohms at either end. I picked up that. I, uh, I, I stopped using those because they always attenuate my signals. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what else? Uh, some switches. Um Odds and ends, bits, bits and pieces. Um, 
No, and and it was, but it was good good to see the guys there. Slim Pickens at the Hamfest, though I got to tell you. Well, well, that's what I was going to ask you. A lot of computer boards or real ham gear. It's even worse than that. You know, all of us hams have underneath the workbench this cardboard or plastic box where we throw bits and pieces that are total junk, but we think I might need that someday. Right. So what guys are doing now is they're taking those boxes out and putting them on a display table at the uh, at the tailgate section. And you look at it and you think, hey, I already have all that stuff. It's in my cardboard box under the bench. So even if you dig through it, you don't really find a whole lot of stuff. So I, I don't know. But Pete, we gotta go to Dayton. We gotta go to Dayton. We gotta we gotta meet up with Hans and he's saying no. <laughs> I might I might launch a worldwide lobbying campaign directing your 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 direction. Yeah, he's he's stubborn. He's like he's gonna he's get no that, way. He's got that Italian thing going. There's only one good thing about going to to, to well I don't know how far Xenia's from Dayton is Mendelssohn's the surplus store ah. the five story stir, surplus building. We're gonna lure you in with Mendelssohn's. There you go. <laughs> we'll get you there. Hey, um, so any anything else we need to talk about before we get to the mailbag? Oh, I, I did want to tell you about the dual bander. The dual bander. Tell us about this. Okay. This is one of these deals on um, eBay that it's World Radio Laboratories produced the dual bander, which was a two-band, single-sideband transceiver, 40 and 80 meters. And the only reason I mention is they used some really innovative things in 1966. They used a 5.55 megahertz crystal filter, and they used a one point, approximately a 1.65 megahertz VFO, analog VFO. And by mixing these properly, you can either put it on 80 or 40 meters, some indifference. And uh, they had some unique bandpass circuits in there. And, and the way you switch bands is you have this knob that you pull. And when you pull the knob, it moves a whole series of gang slide switches. Oh, yeah. I, I remember <laughs> that. Yeah, yeah. And you, we yeah, see so this in some of the QRP rigs, too. Yeah. Ram, Ramsey Electronics used to do this in a lot of their kits. Yeah, yeah. Kind of a so neat way of doing it. So I actually got it working. And, and one of the problems was that you get tricked. The audio amplifier tube, it, it was a triode and a pentode, and, and the triode part worked fine. You got audio output, but somehow the receiver was cut off. The triode section was bad, and that's what had that's what operated the AVC. The AVC was shutting the radios down, but somehow you never think about, well, the, the audio works, so the tube must be okay. It wasn't. It was the triode section, so I fixed that. Put a couple of new tubes in there, and it's all, and I completely rebuilt it, replaced all the capacitors and resistors. Not that I went out and bought this stuff. I have this junk box of half-watt resistors and that from old boat anchors that I worked on. So I was able to just go in there and find all the parts. It takes you a while, though, doesn't it? Yes. Oh, man. It does. It does. Anyway, it's on the air working. Oh, yeah. Well, that, that, that's terrific, and I'm glad you're working on the boat anchor gear because it is, it is kind of fun. You know, but the business about the dual banders, one thing I'm always disappointed with the dual banders, because I'm always attracted to it, like what you just described, 80 and 40, then there's, of course, the 9 megahertz and 5 megahertz yeah. for yeah. 80 and 20. 80 and 20, yeah. The problem is almost all these designs include 75 and 80 meters, Yeah. which is like asking for trouble. 
You know, yeah. you wish they were Dude, dual, you're dual... drunk. Get off the air. <laughs> <laughs> My God, it's some of the stuff that goes on there, you just yeah, uh, yeah, it's just you have to you have to you have to get there after the cocktail hour. Yeah. But for some of these guys, it's always the cocktail hour. So uh, I don't know. I I I don't think it, I don't think it's healthy to spend too much time on those frequencies. Well, I had some fun on 75 meters on the Collins net a week ago. I put the KWM4 in there, and guess what? You ended up being the lead dog. You the were. Was, yeah, the CD was a lot different. Everybody said, you built that? I said, yeah. He said, man, it really sounds good. I said, well, of course. <laughs> well, you know, Pete, you're probably like me. You get on and you listen to these uh, the boat anchors nets, and it's like the old radio nets, and the guys come on, and he says, I'm running a Yesu, but it's, you know, it's 12 years old, so it qualifies, or it's an icon. And as soon as I hear Yesu, Icom, Kenwood, for me, it's just not a boat anchor. It's yeah. It's, it's got to be. I, I hate to be be. It's got to be pre kind of Asian imports. Well, Sorry. I I got to tell you this: the KWM twos and the the S lines. Yeah. They drift. <laughs> I'm sorry, but they drift. <laughs> they drift. I mean, I was moving my dial. I, I took a video of it. I was moving my dial. I said, look, this is the Collins, but that's what that was the technology in the 1960s. And so modern day, mine don't drift. Yeah. Well, you know, yeah, you're good because you've got the you've got your SI 5351s in there. That yeah. bring that brings us to the mailbag. This is some drifting yeah. on mailbag too. But we should we should talk about this first. A guy I came across, and this is something that that reminds me of the uh, the the results of your being on the air for sixty years. And it, it, it basically, I think we all have to accept that you know everything and you know everybody uh, who's been around. So I get on the other day. I don't think I even talked to him. I was listening to some. He was talking to somebody else, and it was KG Seven SSB. What a cool call sign. Oh. Dale. Dale, see that's what I mean, and I so I'm listening to this guy, and he's saying that he's running homebrew gear, and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. So I go to his QRZ site, and it's got all this stuff about building SSB gear and about how much he learned. He learned about SSB kind of architecture from studying the actual BitX40 module, which was which which was pretty amazing, uh, which is exactly the purpose that Farhan had in mind when he launched the thing. So I shoot Pete an email. I say, hey, there's a guy out there in Tucson, Dale. Um, you might want to get in touch with him or listen to him. Of course, Pete's been in communications with him, you know, <laughs> since 1952. Uh, and uh, But he's an interesting guy, and he's, he's, oh, yeah. doing, he's doing some really good homebrew stuff there. And uh, it was good to talk to him. We also heard somebody else, another blast from your past, Pete. Again, everybody and everything. <laughs> Harvey, WA3EIB, wrote in, and he said that he, you and he were in the Skyview Radio Society at one point. Yeah. yeah there you go. Way back. Um, Harvey is, uh, is, is melting some solder there. Good to hear you're, you're doing okay there, Harvey. Then we heard from Phil, VK4PG, in sunny Queensland. He sent in a, a, a diagram for a remote control device. You and I had some discussions about this, about whether it was analog or uh, software or hardware. It, it, it looked kind of strange. It had, at one point, a mouse running in a treadmill, didn't it? Yes, it did. It did. <laughs> but you, you maintained that it was a, 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 a software device, yes. right? <laughs> yes. Because yes. It, had, it, had, it, had, what, it had an SI-5351 in there or an Arduino? Yeah, yeah. Arduino, yeah. 
All right. Well, thank you, Phil, for for sharing that. Uh, we'll have to dig deeper into the uh, the, the the mouse and the uh, treadmill technology. They, those things show up in in Sprat every once in a while. Those kind of yeah. things. Yeah. Um, we heard from um, Bob W three BBO. This was kind of fun. This is a blast from my past. He said that he worked me many years ago from when I was operating as N two CQR stroke HI eight. So I was on the air from the Dominican Republic from ninety two to ninety six. So that's going bad at back a bit. And he said that he, when he worked me, I was on my uh, Drake 2B with the HT37, of course. And so he said that ever since that time, he's been kind of interested in the Drake 2B, and he finally got his. And he sent us a picture of his Drake 2B. Oh, I, they were beautiful. Man, man. It was that a, thing is pristine. It was, it was beautiful. But you know what? He had something that I saw in the, in the Drake 2B that Alan, W2AEW, got. Oh, the red? No, the little on the knobs, like the AF gain, the RF gain, the band pad, the band band switch control, they have little arrows, right? Mine are painted white. I think most two Bs are painted white. Some of them are painted red, and I don't like it. It looks to me like they got some sort of nail polish on that thing, right? I know it's not a bad thing. It just it just doesn't seem right to me because I got used to the two B. With the the diet with the pointer indicators painted white. So let me throw this out to the 2B community. What do you guys think, red or white? Please let us know. Um, and this brings us. We got another Drake 2B message, and this one is really intriguing. This is an opportunity for Solder Smoke to serve the radio amateur boat anchor kind of crazy community that we live in. And that this comes to us from Jeff Tucker. He has a, a 2B, but he picked up to something else at a ham fest. He found some two meter, some Drake 2B kind of documentation, we'll call it. There's like a warranty card. There's a manual. There's some other documentations, but for a specific serial number of Drake 2B, he would like to return this documentation, the original documentation, to the current owner of this particular Drake 2B. The serial number that, that of the documentation that he has is 4215. 4215. If you have Drake 2B number 4215, please check the back of your sets. I've checked mine. It's not mine. Uh, let let me know, and I'll get you in touch with, uh, with uh, Jeff, who will get you the documentation. Ask your buddies, too. Anybody who has a buddy who has a Drake 2B, Four two one five. This would be about mid range because I think we calculated that they probably made about ten thousand of them. What are you going to say? Uh, I, I I have a follow on comment to that when you're finished with the Drake two B because you just go ahead struck a chord here. Go ahead. Okay, there's a guy. There's a hand by the call sign W six CC, and he has no QRZ email address, but I worked him and he's running an eighteen kilohertz. LC filter sideband rig. Wow. And it's based on a 1947 article in QST. And it uses the 88 millihenry toroids. Remember, you used to be able to buy the 88 millihenry toroids? I have a few. Okay. They were given to me by N4UW, Jake, who's recently returned Uh, to the hobby. uh, Okay. So it's an 18 kilohertz, and it doesn't sound bad. I worked on it on 75 meters. And so... I know his other friend, and I said, could you 
send this email on to him. He said, yeah, I got an email address for him. I said, I'd like to see the information because I know you'd be interested in that. 18 kilohertz filter. 1947 QSD article. This reminds me of the article we found from, uh, from, 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 I think, CQ magazine in which Doug DeMaw gives the values for yeah. filters at, he, the filters he was working on F- were at 50 and 100. 50 and 100. 100, yeah. 18 kilohertz out of wow. a 1947 QSD. I, I, if I get it, you'll get it. We got, we got to do this. We got to do this. All right, thank you, thank you, Jeff, for that. We'll we'll find we'll find the owner of four two one five. We got a, a nice email from David Kn for BXI, and uh, he heard me complaining about something about my Baofeng uh, walkie-talkie. Not hard to do because I'm always complaining about the thing. It's mostly a paperweight around here, I must say. Um, uh, but he said that he had problems with one because of. Um, Desensing of the receiver by powerful um, VHF FM broadcast signals in his area. So this is sort of related to my suspicions about uh, uh, FM high-powered RFI here. Something you have to watch out for. So, but thanks for thanks for letting us know about that, David. I think he solved it with a VHF filter. We heard from uh, Fred KC5RT from a group in Kansas City, a boat anchor group. You'll love this, Pete. They, they're from the north side of Kansas City. They get together on the air. They use boat anchors equipment, and the name of their group is the Northland Drifters. <laughs> <laughs> the Northland Drifters. Uh, in Kansas City, they have a nice group. He also recommends listening to the Albuquerque uh, Boat Anchors Net. Yes. And he, apparently they take they they do what our friends in the vintage sideband net does, and they take okay. uh, they take their 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 nets and put them on on the internet. Yeah, let me let me cover that a second. They're on seven two zero two five on on Thursday nights, but they have net control stations across the United States, so it, you could actually check in to the net, and they have a guy in Georgia. They have the main one is in Albuquerque, and they have someone out in the West Coast. So they offer an opportunity. You can actually, you may not be able to be received by the other station, but you can hear the other stations going on. So it's it's quite extensive. Well, you know, a lot of these groups now are also oh. taking advantage of yeah. the web SDR receivers. Yes. So yes. you'll you'll hear guys talking saying, "Well, I can't hear you direct, but I can hear you on the web SDR, and they'll yeah. carry on that way," which is yeah. which is kind of cool. By the way, I checked out that that web SDR receiver in the Netherlands. That we uh, that, that that's out there, amazing capability. They've got the entire HF spectrum going on that thing. You you could look at it all at the same time, and they're they're using a, an active antenna that's only about a foot long, and they're pulling in the whole HF spectrum. It's, wow, it's really amazing. I'll 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 try to get the link. I'll put it up on the on the blog. Really really good stuff. But exciting times for ham radio, Pete. By by the way, one of the most popular. It's not a transceiver receivers for the SDR web applications is called the Kiwi SDR. I've seen that. Yeah. Kiwi SDR. It's about 300 bucks, but it's got amazing specs. And that's what they're using on these stations. Oh, man. Pete, keep up the good work on SDR. Pull us into the 21st century. Have fun. We're I like close. the red, the red approach. Is amazing, right on target. You got the right, you got the right approach, the right attitude there. Thanks very much for getting up early. It's it's really zero dark thirty there, right? Well, it was 
halfway between OO Dark Thirty and O Dark Thirty. Five Thirty. We've been on the air an hour and a half. I know. I know. We're, we're in double overtime. We've been having a lot of, a lot of fun. Yeah, right. you bet. I see the sunshine. Hey, are, are you are you getting closer to to retirement? Is is the time moving on? Twenty ninth of September, my friend. Man, that's it. Ha- no. Have a plan in the home stretch. Ha- have a plan about how you carve out time. I, I got to tell you, when I got retired, people said, oh, you're retired. Hey, we need you. <laughs> no, 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 sudden, no. I, I, I'm, I'm heeding your advice, as I always do, Pete. Don't worry. Uh, okay. I mean, and you know who was the worst one? The Catholic Church. Uh, when I lived in the state of Washington, they, they'd call me all the time and said, hey, we need some help with this, and we need some, we need a computer program, and we need this. And I'm saying, man, it's like a, it was a free full-time job. <laughs> <laughs> all right pete thanks very much you bet seven threes have, have, from a the good, coast. have a good weekend seven threes we'll talk to you we'll talk to you next time we'll see you on the internet you remember dayton xenia forget that <laughs> i get that brought <laughs> brought worse than chile you spend a lot of money and it's not that good seven threes from northern seven, virginia you bet seven threes Ooh, that's awesome. The Solder Smoke Podcast is produced once or twice a month using roadkill computers in an electronics workshop somewhere in the wilds of Northern Virginia. The podcast is available via iTunes and directly from our website, soldersmoke.com. Our blog, the Solder Smoke Daily News, is at soldersmoke.blogspot.com. Send email to soldersmoke, that's one word, at yahoo.com. Solder Smoke is listener-supported. And there are many ways you can help keep the podcast going. Please spread the word. Let your friends know about Solder Smoke, the podcast, and our blog. Put links to the podcast and the blog on your websites. Buy a copy of the critically acclaimed book, Solder Smoke, Global Adventures in Wireless Electronics, available from lulu.com. Begin all your visits to Amazon via the Amazon link on our blog page. In this way, Solder Smoke gets a commission from anything you buy on Amazon. Buy some of our attractive Solder Smoke t-shirts, coffee mugs, and bumper stickers at the Solder Smoke store at CafePress.com. If you have a small business, consider advertising on the podcast or on the blog. Our rates are reasonable and our staff is friendly. If none of this appeals to you but you still want to help, well, we have a donation button in the upper left-hand corner of the blog page. However you choose to help, we thank you for your support. Ciao, bravi ragazzi!